Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We are having a bit of a break from 1 Corinthians, and Josh is going to be kicking off. Josh is doing MTS with us with us this year, which is a training position. And a part of that, we want to encourage him to develop all his skills, and he's bringing God's Word to us this morning. And he's bringing us uh, from Exodus. Do you want to kick us off? Thanks, Beth. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, if you want to pull that up in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, so that's Exodus 3, 1 to 7. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Awesome. Thanks, Beck and Ross. Good morning, everyone. Uh, before we dig into God's Word, let's uh, join him in prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can come together today and read about your Word. Um, Lord, we know how great it is to know you and have a relationship with you. And as we look at this passage today, we just um, we pray that those of you who know you, you'll open our hearts to deepen that relationship. And those that don't know you, we pray that you'll open our eyes to the truth of your word. Um, so yes, Lord, please be with us today while we read about you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, I was talking to an older gentleman that I know, um, and we got talking about phones. Now, he was from the generation where you only had one phone number. It was your home phone number, and you shared it with everyone in your house. Now, this phone sometimes had its own room for talking or, or shouting if the connection was bad. And if you weren't home, people had no real way to find you. And that was pretty much true for everyone you knew at the time. Now, fast forward to today, and we have so many ways to reach each other. You can call someone if you're more traditional. Uh, you can text if you understand all the current etiquette surrounding emojis and abbreviations. Uh, and if you're really up with the times, you might just like to Snapchat with people or message on Instagram. I don't know what that is. Um, you can find people on Facebook if you've lost touch over the years. And if you're a really good friend or you just want to be really annoying, you can even video chat with people. And that's just the people that we know personally. There's also a whole host of apps and websites that have been made to try to connect you to someone you've never even met before. And with all these options, you can't just assume how people would like to communicate. 
seems like everyone's got their own preference for how they want to talk to you. It can be really difficult to work out the best way to reach each other. Uh, I'm super guilty of this. Uh, half the time, when someone's trying to contact me, I don't even realize. I've got like three email inboxes, so there's always one that I don't check. And uh, I'm not on most social apps because I don't really get how they work. And when a message does get to me, um, I'm likely to read it and plan to reply later, then forget about it until it's been too long and now it's really awkward to write back. So, uh, but most of the time, it doesn't really matter if we miss a text or a phone call or an email. You know, if you're just at the shops and you miss the message that says, buy an extra bag of chips just in case, that's not a huge deal. You might have enough chips already. Uh, my wife likes to text me when she arrives somewhere safely. And it's great, but if I don't get the text and I'm worried, I can just call her to make sure she's okay. There are some more important messages we don't want to miss. Like, don't forget to lodge your taxes. It's an important one. Or a phone call for a job interview. Uh, these usually aren't life or death. But if they don't get to you, it can be pretty costly. But what if the message that we're missing is really important? What if the message was sent from God? How do we know if God's trying to get through to us to tell us something, something life-changing? How can we find out God's communication preferences to make sure we hear what He's saying? Now, plenty of people will say they know how to hear from God. There are spiritual gurus and fortune tellers, astrologists, and sometimes just average people who have seen a sign. You might have seen the account of the uh, second coming of Christ on a toasted sandwich. I think it's here. I believe they call it um, a grilled cheeses. Yeah. So how do we know which of these is really God? How exactly does God speak to us? As you think about this question, we're going to open our Bibles to Exodus 3 where we see a time when God spoke to His people. Starting in verse 1, we read, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So we ask the question, how does God speak? Well, as we see here, God chooses to speak to people like Moses. And these people God chooses to speak to are called prophets in the Bible. Now their job is to bring God's word to his people. So God speak to us through his prophets. Now let's dig into what's happening here. Moses, he's out and about with his sheep. Seems like any other ordinary day, and he's doing whatever it is shepherds do on any ordinary day. And he rounds this mountain, and there he sees a fire. Now, a fire is pretty attention-grabbing, right? And in some situations, can even be quite alarming. But there's also something very alluring about fire, isn't there? Something kind of primal that just grabs our attention and draws us in. You know, if it's, if it's a big fire and you can feel the heat on your face from ages away, it's exciting. But even like a small smoldering campfire, it's just really interesting to look at. Fire is naturally very intriguing. 
But this one is even more interesting because it says that the leaves of the bush are on fire, but they aren't burning up. It's hard to imagine what that would even look like, to have bright orange flames just dancing over deep green leaves. How does that work? What's going on? This can't be an ordinary fire. So understandably, Moses is really curious. He's going to go check out if this, what this weird fire is, find out what the deal is. But we know what the deal is. This is the bush that God is going to speak from. In verse 4, we read, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, what's Moses going to say? What would any of us say in this situation? Well, Moses says, here I am. We've got to give him some credit here. I mean, personally, if I found a bush that was burning but not really burning and it suddenly called out my name, I don't know if I'd answer. I'd probably think, what does this weird bush want with me and what's, what's it going to do next? But Moses doesn't seem too unsettled. In fact, to me, the, the answer, here I am, might give the impression of a willing listener, someone who's open to conversation. So then, what does the tree have to say next? On verse 5, God says, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So, at this point, we're in Midian, in the wilderness, following a shepherd, Moses, who's come across a miraculous, talking, burning tree, a tree that calls out to him, that knows his name, tells him to take his shoes off, and then says that it's the God of Abraham. Now, who else is thinking this is a pretty crazy morning for Moses? So what exactly do we think is happening here? I mean, obviously we can you know, see God is talking to Moses. What's the deal with the bush and the fire and the sandals? Well, when we unpack this, we can see that God, speaking to Moses in this way, is actually making it very clear who Moses is talking to. There's no real room for interpretation. He's made it obvious to Moses who he is. He starts by showing Moses a miracle, the burning bush. Now, as well as being very visually impressive, we learn something important about the one who sent it. By showing that he can have the bush burn and the bush doesn't die... God demonstrates His power over creation. He's showing Moses that the person doing this can do things that should be impossible. This alone demands attention. Then God shows His knowledge. He calls Moses by name. At this point in Moses' life, he's kind of a nobody, just a shepherd living in Midian. But God shows that He knows Moses even as he's wandering in the wilderness. What about when God tells Moses to stay back and take his shoes off? What's going on there? Why should he take his shoes off? Well, if you ever visit my house, uh, you'll find we have a pretty liberal shoe policy. Uh, People always ask us, shoes off, shoes on, and we always say, whatever makes you comfortable. We're very laid back, very easy going on the shoe thing. But, you've got to wipe your feet. In my house... If you come in from outside and you don't do even a little dance on the doormat, I consider it the height of disrespect. I don't care how clean your feet are, I was raised to wipe my feet when you enter a house, and that to me is a sign of respecting where you are. And in Moses' culture, 
people took off their shoes to show respect. Maybe it had to do with walking behind sheep all day. But whatever the origin, it was a known sign of politeness. So, God tells Moses to take his shoes off to make it clear that he is to be honored, that he is praiseworthy, deserving of utmost respect. Just the fact that he is here means Moses should treat this place like holy ground. And then God tells Moses exactly who he is. He says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what does that mean to Moses? Well, it means that he's the God of the Israelites, the God of the covenant. Now, this word covenant, if you haven't heard it before, it refers to a promise that God made long ago to Moses' ancestor, Abraham, when God spoke to him. A promise that Abraham would have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, that God would make them into a great nation and rescue them from slavery. And now this God, who made this wonderful promise so long ago, is speaking to Moses. And when Moses hears all this, he hides his face. He can see that this is the God of his ancestors, and he knows how powerful he is. He's afraid to be seen by one so perfect, so holy. But God has already seen him, and he wants to speak with him. So the question becomes, what does God want? Why has he reached out to Moses? Well, he's about to tell him. Let's read on. He says in verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So what's God saying to Moses? Well, he's saying, I've seen my people. I've heard them crying out. I'm concerned about their suffering. Their cry has reached me, and I'm going to rescue them through you. Can you imagine what Moses is thinking right now? How stunningly awesome this whole experience must be for him. He's just seen a miracle performed by God the same God that his people pray to. And not only is he choosing to speak to Moses, but he tells him that he sees them, he hears them, and he's concerned to them. Now, have you ever felt that feeling before, that feeling of being seen and cared for? For me, I often feel it when I get sick, like the last time I had man flu. uh, It wasn't as bad as the Israelite situation, but I felt terrible. And the feeling was almost indescribable when after a lot of moaning by me, uh, my wife came to me, she saw my suffering, she made me feel heard, she showed her concern for me by bringing me cold and flu medicine. Now that's just on a small scale, but for Israel and for Moses, this is massive. What an amazing message to get from God for him to speak to you so that he actually sees his people and he cares about them. Cares for them enough that he's going to do something about it that he's come now for the purpose of rescuing his people and fulfilling the promise he made with their forefathers. And on top of all that, God has decided he'll use Moses to do this. 
And maybe this is where he feels a little overwhelmed, because in verse 11, he asks God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And what's God going to say to comfort him? Well, in verse 12, he says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And it's good to notice uh, in this verse, when God says you will worship here, he's using the plural you, referring to all of Israel. So, God has assured Moses that he'll be with him on this mission. He's given him a sign to look out for, to know that it's happened and that God has saved them. But Moses has one more concern. In verse 13, he says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It might not seem like a big deal to us, but knowing God's name was very important to the Israelites at the time. See, they believed that a name reflected an individual's essence, and while there were many names for God in the days of Genesis, they each highlighted a specific aspect of God's character. They called Him the Most High God or or the God who sees me. There was also the God Almighty and the Eternal God. And while these were all impressive titles, here through Moses, God reveals another name for Himself, a name that describes so many facets of His character. He is who He is, always unchanging. And this is the name that will make the elders recognize that it's their God speaking through Moses a name that captures God for the Israelites. So to sum it up, the God of the Israelites, the great I Am, speaks to Moses, says He's going to use him and speak to him through to rescue His people. And what happens next? Well, if you read the rest of Exodus, uh, we'd see that events follow just as God said they would. Moses challenges Pharaoh in God's name. God performs miracles through Moses, God cares for His people, and in the end, the Israelites are freed from Egypt, and they do worship God on that mountain as promised. And what we'll see is that God continues to speak to His people through His prophet Moses. So when the Israelites want to know what God thinks, they go ask Moses. If God wants to tell His people something important, He speaks through Moses. They don't have to look to soothsayers or look for signs or sandwiches. They can look to Moses. And this dynamic of God speaking through His prophet continues through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But then we get to a problem. See, at the end of Deuteronomy, something unthinkable happens. Moses dies. How's God going to speak to His people now? Well, if we keep reading, we'll see that God chooses new prophets to speak through. People like Jonah, Hosea, Isaiah, and Ezekiel. But like Moses, they all died too. And none of these guys were even as good as Moses. At, at the end of Deuteronomy, actually read, uh, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, 
to Pharaoh, to all his officials and his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So, for centuries after, prophets came and prophets went. None were as great as Moses. And then things stopped. For about 400 years, there wasn't even a prophet worth writing about. So how did God speak? And how does He speak today? Where's our prophet? When the New Testament, the book of John, starts by saying something amazing. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John's telling us about someone who was with God in the beginning, and he calls him the Word of God. There's more. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this word of God, who's actually coming to give light to everyone to make us children of God, well, how exactly is he going to do that? My favorite verse, verse 19 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. It's Jesus, the Son of God. He is how God speaks to us today. He's the Word of God, He is God, and He became flesh to bring light to the world. We no longer need to look to prophets to hear God's Word. Jesus is beyond a prophet, He is God's Word. If we want to know what God thinks, we ask Jesus. If God wants to tell something important to His people, He's revealed it in Jesus. If we want to know if God sees us, hears us, and cares enough to rescue us, we can find out by studying Jesus, how He saw us suffering in our sins and came down to earth to share in our pain and ultimately rescue us from death by taking our punishment on the cross. And unlike Moses, when Jesus died on that cross, He didn't stay dead. He showed His power by rising from the grave, and we can still know Him today. Through His miracles and His knowledge and character, we can see that He is the same God that brought the Israelites out of Egypt, the same God that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Jesus is God speaking to us as clearly as He can? And what does this mean for us? Well, if we want to know what God's saying, we can look to Jesus. And to find out about Jesus, we can read the Bible, which tells us all about His life and teachings. It really is the best place to learn who He is and what He's like. It also means that we don't have to look for other signs and wonders to hear from God. 
which isn't to say that uh, God can't use other methods to talk to us. God can reach us in all sorts of ways, but we do need to be sure it's God we're listening to. Last year, uh, my mother got targeted by a pretty clever phone scam. She received a text from an unknown number that said something like, hey mom, it's me, my phone broke, I'm using my friends, can I borrow some money to buy a new phone? Here's my bank details. Now, a few people fell for these scams, they're quite convincing when, when done right, but my mom, she decided she was gonna be careful and she tried calling me first. When she got through to me, we worked out it was a scam and we laughed about it, no harm done. But see, if mum didn't call me directly, she might not have realised she was talking to an imposter. She could have lost a lot of money. And it is possible that I could have texted her from a friend's phone. And it's the same with hearing from God. It is possible that God speaks to us through natural signs or visions or maybe even sandwiches. But we can confirm or debunk all these things by first going to the Bible, to Jesus, to see if what He says matches up. Jesus is the Word of God, and He is God. If He's saying it, we can know God is saying it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank You so much for what You've revealed through Your Son, Jesus. We thank You that we can know the truth of who you are by looking to him. We thank you that you've given us your word in the scriptures so we can find out about who you are and what you want for us. Uh, Lord, we pray as we go into our lives and we're faced with so many different opinions and, and so many different people claim to know who you are, claim that you would help us and always point us to your son, Jesus, who is the word. Pray this in his name. Amen.